Masechet Pesachim, Daf Lamed. This is actually a very important and very practical Daf, all about koshering dishes. A lot of, lot of questions that we get uh, before Pesach are based on this sugya. So we're going to see three main topics. First, Rava's decision that he follows with Bishimon. We'll speak a little bit more about that. Uh, then second, pots that absorb chametz, and we'll compare that to ovens that are greased with meat. Um, so that's uh, pots, and, uh, pots and ovens. And then the last part, we'll talk about different kinds of utensils, knives, wooden ladles, glazed earthenware, and kneading bowls. All right. So uh, before we get to Rava, let's just remind ourselves of the opinion of Rav, who was uh, very stringent, uh, the, the most stringent in this regard. And he says that hametz on Pesach, if it gets mixed up, if it's mean, uh, whether it's mean bemino or mean cheno bemino is prohibited. Um, and uh, so in his opinion, and Shemuel actually agrees with this as well, is that mean bemino does not get diluted. Uh, does not get nullified. The concept of nullification is that if it's a different taste, milk and meat, then the uh, if it's just a little bit of milk, it will be overwhelmed by the taste of the meat and then gone. But if it's two of the same flavor, uh, you know, a, a beer and, and more beer, then it will never get nullified, not even one in a million. And so Rav, that's his point of departure. And now since it's min bimino on Pesach is prohibited, so then he makes a gezerah, even min no bimino on Pesach. And after Pesach, um, when it's uh, after Pesach, um, min bimino also will be prohibited. Um, but Chamesh that was owned by a Jew on Pesach, after Pesach, if it gets mixed up with min no mino, it's okay. So three out of the four cases, he prohibits. Shemuel agrees in principle that min bimino on Pesach is prohibited. However, he does not make any gezerot. And therefore, in three out of four cases, he uh, he permits. Uh, that's Shemuel. Okay. Um, and then we saw the Biochanan and Rashakish, who are more lenient, and they say that uh, general, it's Benoten Tam. All right. And now we get to Rava, right? This is where we left off. Rava decides halacha on Pesach, like Rav. Chametz bizmano, ben bimino, ben shelo bimino, asur bimashu kerav. So Chametz that's mixed up on Pesach. It does not get does not get diluted, does not get nullified, whether it's the same taste or a different taste. However, so he's machmir on Pesach. However, after Pesach, he's lenient. So you have chametz that was owned by a Jew on Pesach, but it gets mixed up with other chametz that's permitted. Um, that's okay. As long as it's a majority of permitted uh, chametz, so that minority of chametz that was owned the, on Pesach, Pesach, is is okay, is uh, nullified even in a majority, as Rabbi Shimon states. Rabbi, yeah. Uh, that means also it was mixed before Pesach is Lobizmano too. Yes, yes, that, that is what it implies. It's not when the Gemara is not focusing on the before Pesach, uh, but yes, that would that would be the implication. Um, and that, that's practical. That's why people uh, will sell things that have a mixture, right? But not things that are actual chametz, right? There's a fundamental difference between them. Okay. Hold on. Rava said this Is that true? Did he really say this? When we were interpreting our Mishnah, 
Rabbi's the one that said that our Mishnah follows Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon says, although Midoraita Chamesh Rabbi Pesach is permitted, Midrabanan, the rabbis, added a fine. And so therefore, right, because you violated Bali Rabbalim said, because you owned it on, on, on Pesach, therefore it's prohibited Midrabanan. So how come, how come you just said here, up above that, oh, because we followed Rabbi Shimon, it's permitted um, after Pesach. But he says, this is, what about the rabbinic fine? Okay, the answer is actually quite obvious. This statement was talking about the actual chametz. I had uh, noodles, right? I had cookies, bread that was owned on Pesach, and it's there in in, in itself, a whole. Uh, that is pro- 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 prohibited after, after Pesach. However, if it's mixed up, with a majority of permitted, that's what he's talking about here, that he follows Rabbi Shimon and, and um, is, is permits completely, like Shemuel or like Rabbi Yochanan. Okay. And we can prove that Ava, in fact, actually practiced what he preached, um, and he followed the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who says that chametz, as long as it was, it was owned by a non-Jew on, on, on Pesach, you are allowed to acquire it and eat it and use it after Pesach. And for sure enough, when he was in the house of Rav Nachman, this is in Bavel, after Pesach was over, after the seven days of Pesach was over, he said, go out and buy, buy some pita bread off of the back of the truck, right? Uh, that's, that's okay, because it was owned by a non-Jew on Pesach. Um, this would contrast with the Bavli's initial understanding of Rabbi Yehuda, who said any chametz that existed on Pesach, even owned by a non-Jew, is, is not allowed. So you see that Ravad did not agree with that opinion. He was lenient like Rabbi Shimon. An interesting thing here is that it says, after the seven days of Pesach were finished. Uh, hold on, he's in Bavel, right? Didn't they have Yom Tov Sheni, Shel Galiot in Bavel? What's going on here? Okay, that's a good question. Ask Sammy Miz. Uh, all right, maybe it means not love davka. It means uh, the seven days as they kept it. In other words, all eight days. Okay, um, but the, maybe there were some places that were close to Eretz Yisrael that still followed the Eretz Yisrael tradition. I'm not sure. Rav, kederot ba-Pesach yishaberu. Okay, this is very interesting, very important. Now, going back to Rav. Rav lived before Rava, so he didn't follow that Pesach Halacha. Rav followed his own opinion. According to Rav, if you have a, a pot, the pot, pots in those days, we have to understand, if they're used for cooking, were actually very porous because they had to have room to expand and contract. And so the uh, um, it's, uh, um, uh, material food can get into those uh, cracks, into those holes very easily. So now what do you have? You have a pot that you use all year round for everything, including for chametz. And uh, now there's chametz in the, in the walls of those pots. What do you do with that pot on Pesach? Obviously, you can't use it. Um, you just, but you don't have to break it. You could just leave it there. You just leave it in the closet and make sure not to use it. Um, chametz that's absorbed in the walls is not actually itself food. It's not edible. So you don't violate owning a pot that has chametz in it. But here's the problem. If it is actually chametz and you're owning it, you own it on Pesach. So now, according to Rav, if you go and use that pot after Pesach to cook, then there's chametz in the pot. That's chametz Pesach. You own the chametz that's absorbed in the walls of the pot. And now when you cook in it afterwards, whatever you cook, 
then the taste of that hametz is going to go into the food and make it prohibited, right? And it won't make a difference. It, uh, and if it's min bimina, right, then that will be a problem. Because Rav says, min bimina, after Pesach, is prohibited. Min b'sheno mina, after Pesach, is okay. So Rav said, all your pots, you have to break. You need all new pots, not for Pesach, right? But actually after Pesach, you have to buy all new pots. Um, if you buy them before Pesach, that's okay too. Then you use the new pots on Pesach and then there's no chametz in them and you can continue using them. So you see that they would have to buy all new pots at some point, um, either before or after Pesach. So now we ask a question on Rav. Amai, l'shinuach ala Pesach, levit shelo b'minan. Why do you have to break and get all new pots? Why not just leave them? Don't use them on Pesach. After Pesach, only use it. Min mino. If you used to use it for uh, for pasta, then only use the pot for vegetable soup. Um, and that way, whatever the chametz that's in the walls will be nullified. mino. Why can't you do that? No, Rav is not going to agree to that. Gezera dilma tul mevet behu bemino. He's going to make an added gezera. You're going to use it all year round forever. See, the problem is that doesn't get nullified at all. So now the entire year, you have to remember this pot I can't use for something that has the same taste as what I used it for before. Um, and so you're not going to remember that. You're going to end up using that pot for the same taste at some point. And so that makes a gezera, although this is another added gezera, because really Rav says on Pesach, right, it's prohibited. After Pesach is a gezera because of Pesach, but now we're adding yet another one. So according to Rav, we cannot trust that a person will always use the pot for min beshenomino. And therefore, Rav says you have to break all pots because of the chamet shavar lava Pesach that's absorbed in the walls. All right, this would be a very a huge stringency and very expensive for people to have to buy all new pots. Now, Shmuel did not make any of those gezerot. Um, and so uh, Shmuel would say, no, don't use them on Pesach, right? You're not allowed to, to use them because on Pesach, the, the food will, the, the taste will go, will, will leave. And that's a problem. But you can own them on Pesach because it's not actual food while it's still in the, in the walls. And after Pesach, you can use it for anything. Although chametz in itself is chametz shavala Pesach, but if it's mixed up, if it's just a taste, and it's fine. Okay, so that's Shemuel. And we have a story, a very famous story, you probably have heard it, uh, that Shemuel actually follows his own opinion. He went to the pot sellers. And he told them, What happened? The pot sellers would take, uh, use this opportunity to raise the prices of pots because everyone needed new pots, according to Rav, those who followed Rav. And so the pot sellers would now raise the prices. Uh, we know that these things happen on Pesach, right? The prices of meat and other things. And so Shemuel was upset at them. And he says, listen, you better keep your prices fair and equal and the same. Otherwise, I'm going to legislate my opinion, right, Shemuel says. And according to Shemuel, you don't need any new pots. Okay, so uh, now the Gemara asks, why not tell them anyway? I mean, Shemuel has his opinion. Shemuel has a right to, to teach his own halacha. Why doesn't Shemuel in any case say that people don't have to buy new pots? That's Shemuel, could it be Shimon uh, he follows Rabbi Shimon and does not have any of these uh, any of these gezerot. Um, it's all to Rabbanan. 
No, it was Rav's place. So one time, that was Rav's uh, uh, city, Sura, and Shemuel was visiting. And so when you're in a different rabbi city, you don't have a right to, to teach your own halacha. Um, this was uh, true in, in many cases in Babel. I have heard a chapter about this in my dissertation, that in Babel, every, uh, every city had there that chief rabbi, and everyone anyone who would come visit would uh, make sure to follow the rabbi in their place. So therefore, since it's Rav's place, the people there were machmir and they bought all new pots. Shemuel, when he was there, also would um, agree to that halacha. When Shemuel's in his own city, then he could, um, he could do his own opinion. But he would go against that if the pot sellers were going to take advantage of this and charge people more, then forget that, right? Shemuel's not going to stand for that and he's going to teach people that uh, the halacha is mekel. Okay, so very interesting the way that Shemuel uh, balances the needs, the, the, the uh, lachic requirements with the monetary needs of the people and doesn't want them to get ripped off. Isn't that an empty threat, though, if he's in, if he's in Rav's locale? No, it's not an empty threat because then there would be a, a bigger, you know, a, a more important, a more, more important principle. Uh, so, you know, I'd say, sorry, Rav, but, uh, you know, no, no offense to you, uh, but the people are getting ripped off and we can't let, the, we can't let that happen. Uh, okay, good. So now a related case. You have an oven and you put um, grease that's, that's meat on the oven. That is uh, kind of like Pam of, uh, of those days. I have an oven and you want to bake, bake bread in it, but you want it to be, uh, to grease, be greased. And for the grease, you use uh, fat from kosher, kosher meat and you put it on the walls of the oven. And then afterwards you uh, take the bread and stick it to the walls. Um, uh, so, so said, you're not allowed to eat that bread ever, um, even by itself. In other words, even with salt. By saying with salt means even by itself without any condiments. Because it's meat. Um, that bread is, you cooked it with meat um, grease. And therefore, don't eat it by itself because one day you may eat it with dairy. Kuchta, uh, right? That's that uh, dairy, uh, um, uh, sour cream, uh, uh, very uh, uh, yogurt type of uh, um, a dish. Then uh, uh, it's, it's made out of dairy. And so you can't, you can't have meat. They can't have bread that's going to be meat bread because people aren't going to know that it's meat bread. Then they're going to at some point so therefore, um, you can't use it. And he says forever, right? That, that it's, it's, uh, you can't use that bread. Even the next time you bake in that oven, that bread would also be a problem. Don't use it. Uh, okay, now we have a question on this. This is halacha you might be familiar with, that you should not put milk in your dough. And if you do, then that bread is prohibited. Why? Because that's going to be dairy bread. And people aren't going to know that it's dairy bread, and they're going to use it for their pastrami sandwich. And, uh, and then they will violate. So dairy bread is not, not good, not kasher. Um, all right, what we do is if there is something, some kind of bread that's dairy, you'd have to make, you have to make it a different shape or some, some sign that people will know that it's just not, it's not regular bread. It's a problem to put dairy in bread. We're getting to the question still. Um, 
Um, okay, the second law is that you should not take al- aliyah, that's the tail of the animal that was very fatty, the tail of the sheep. And if you take that fat and smear it uh, on the uh, oven, um, no good. All the bread that you make is prohibited because that's meat bread. And just like you can't have dairy bread, you're not allowed to have meat bread either uh, because you might use it for milk or you might use it for meat um, until you light the, light the oven again. In other words, if you go through a cycle and you, you heat up the oven from, from the inside and it burns off all the fat, that's koshering the oven. And then the next batch is okay. So So if you do burn it, then it's okay. And this is a question, a serious challenge on because um, he said that if you put meat grease on the oven, then it's prohibited forever. You can never again use that oven for bread. You can use it to cook meat, but not for bread. And, um, and so in other words, according to him, the taste never leaves. And according to um, this baraita, the taste does leave once you, once you change it, uh, once you burn it out. And so we have refuted Rava um, Barailai, and it's okay, you can kosher this oven. All right, good. Oh, so now we're going to bring those two cases together. Rav said that pots, um, if they, if you ever put chametz in them, you have to break them after Pesach because that taste in the in the in the walls of the pot will come out the next time you use it, and it's chametz shavad alava Pesach. Now, why? Why did Rav say you have to break the pots? Because we, we now we just concluded that if you have an oven and you put grease on the oven, you can burn out the grease and then you can use the oven again for to bake bread. So what's the difference? Why, why can't you burn out the chametz that's in the pot, right? Uh, that's a very important question. We have two answers. The first answer is that that the oven was made out of uh, metal. Metal is different. Metal, in fact, you can kosher, right? You, you, uh, you, um, you, you uh, heat up the metal to the, the, the same degree that you usually do when you cooked in the first place, and that heat will burn out the taste of the grease, the meat grease that you put in there, and now that oven is now parf again, and you can bake bread in it. But here we're talking about a pot that's made out of uh, earthenware and earthenware cannot be koshered in that manner. That's an important distinction. Or a different answer. Or you can even say that the oven is also made out of earthenware. The difference is that in oven, you put the fire inside in the same area where you put that grease on the walls. Um, so now it's getting burnt out from the inside. The fire is directly burning out the, uh, the side where you put, the, uh, put the, that meat grease. Whereas a pot is the opposite. The pot has the food in the inside and the fire is underneath on the outside. So the fire is not burning directly the side where you put the food. Um, and that makes, uh, that makes the difference. Now, I know what you're thinking. Fine, so the pot, I will kosher the pot by taking my blowtorch and, and, uh, and putting the fire inside. Uh, the, um, putting the fire inside uh, just one time. I'm not going to put food in there and kosher it from the inside and then clean it out. And then I can use it for the next time, right? 
Uh, well, theoretically, yeah, but the problem is people are not going to make the fire so hot because um, the pots are made in such a way that the fire is supposed to be outside. If you put the fire inside in the same temperature, it will break. And uh, so people will just put a small fire inside and not be uh, not actually kosher it to the same extent. Uh, so this is very interesting because it means that earthenware technically could be koshered. Um, in uh, an oven case, it would be okay, but only if you're koshering it on the same side where you had put the food. And therefore, hilkach hai buchya this certain griddle made of, made of earthenware seems to be like a ring and you and you can kindle it from the outside or the inside it could be used in both ways and so that in that, in that case um, that would be kosher, a kosherable thing because even though often you put the coals on one side and the food on the other side but since you could put it on the inside you can kosher it when you put it on the same side and that would be fine Okay, good. So um, that uh, concludes uh, the second part about the pots and the ovens. And now we're going to go on to knives and ladles and earthenware um, and kneading bowls. Rabbi, yes. is that is that question like anachronistic? Like it, it, the rejection of the rejection that we saw of Rava that, that happened post uh, Rav. Yeah. The rejection? Of, no, that was different Rava. That was Rava Barahilai. Is he earlier than Rav that we would have this question? And he's talking about a different a different case. He's talking about this, uh, you know, ovens that get mixed in, mixed in. Yeah, but we're saying that we're trying to reject. We're trying to say how how did Rav not change his opinion after the rejection of Rav Bar Ahilai? But is Rav uh, is Rav Bar Ahilai earlier than Rav? That no, I think he's later. Sense. I think he's later. Um, okay. So where am I? Uh, okay, Amar le Ravina le Rav Ashe. Hi, Sakine be Pischa. Hechi abi Abdinan lehu. What do we do with knives uh, that were used all year round, including for hametz? How do you kosher a knife? Amar le Lididi Hadata ka Abdinan. So uh, he answered. Rav Ashe answered. I make new ones every year. I make new knives. All right, that's good for you. You're wealthy. You can afford to get new knives every year. But most of us, we can't afford new knives. So what kind of solution is that? No, I don't actually get new knives. I mean, I renew, renew my knives. I make them like new. How do I do that? He he actually burns them in fire. The problem is that the handle is made out of wood. So you can't put the handle directly in the fire. They would, he would cover the handle with clay. And then he put the whole, he put the whole thing in the fire so that the blade would get white hot with the fire. <clears throat> and then I take off the clay and I dip the handle in boiling water. And that's way, that way it's basically like new. But halacha, you don't have to do that. Now he was very machmir. Actually, you could just take the take it and dip the entire knife in a kli rishon, and that would be sufficient. Uh, question is, you know, why, what, what are they using the knife for? Uh, he's using it for cold, for hot. Um, probably it was multi-use. They probably use knives a lot more than we do, not just for cutting, but maybe for stirring, for poking, for as a, maybe as a spit to hold something over the fire. Uh, so since knives were used uh, in lots of different ways, so it would be, have to be uh, koshered in a kli rishon. 
Um, um, okay, and that's how you kosher a knife. Amar Rabuna bered Rabbi Yoshua, es parur magilo bedotrin u bekli rishon, a wooden ladle. So that wooden ladle, you're um, using it and mixing it in boiling water in a kli rishon. So in order to kosher it, uh, so you do magilo, you do hagala in boiling water on a kli rishon. Oh, why? Kasabar kebaleo. The way something, the way a food is absorbed, so too it gets emitted. So as long as you use it the, the same way, you kosher it the same way that it was um, was used uh, during the year, then that that's how you permit it. So this is the source of that uh, very famous and very uh, basic principle of koshering pots and pans. Good. Uh, okay, so we have glazed earthenware vessels. Um, this is a, a question that probably the most asked question every Pesach is about <laughs> glazed earthenware. Uh, in those days, this, uh, talking about earthenware that was glazed with metal. Um, it's a little different from ours, which is glazed with glass. Uh, so what is the law of earthenware glazed with metal? So that's the question. So it, yeah, it depends. The green ones are definitely prohibited. Um, something about the makeup of the green, uh, the, the, the green ones is it definitely absorbs. What about the black ones or the white ones? Uh, uh, that's the question. And secondly, if it has cracks in it, then don't ask the question because the cracks, the chametz will definitely get into the cracks. But what if it's smooth? Then does it also go in? So that's our question. Smooth ones and that are black and white, uh, would that need to be... Uh, uh, can the can that be koshered like metal, or is it like earthenware and cannot be koshered? Uh, no. Well, we see that these even even these uh, vessels, the ones that are that are smooth and black and white, when you put liquid inside, you can feel some of the sweat on the outside, right? So they are porous, and therefore it's a problem. Alma They do. Absorb and they're prohibited. And then the Torah makes a distinction between uh, metal and earthenware. And earthenware as, as remains defective forever. There is no way to kosher earthenware vessels. Um, and you would have to, uh, if it, be- it becomes non-kosher with pig or something, then you have to break them. Um, we can follow the halacha that you just don't, don't use them on, on Pesach but then you can use them again after Pesach. It's good. Well, what's the difference between uh, an, an earthenware vessel that's used for for prohibited wine? Um, because there, Merema says, if it's glazed earthenware vessels, it's permitted whether black, white, green, and even though it was used for the prohibited wine, but if you clean it out, then you can use it. Um, so why? You're going to say it's a difference in the level of prohibition because chametz is a sumedoraita. 
on Pesach and Yain Nesach is only the Rabbanan. Called the Takun Rabbanan, Karen de Olaita Takun. Fine, but that's not, that doesn't work because even when the rabbis say something is prohibited, they make it, they use the same uh, structure as something that as something that's midoraita. So we don't make a distinction. Once something is prohibited from eating and drinking, then the same rules apply to it uh, when they come into contact with um, with with, uh, with with vessels. And so we don't make that kind of distinction. The rabbis just plug their uh, prohibit prohibitions into the same structure. You won't make a difference. Okay, now second, very another very important principle that if it's used for a hot, that is a problem. So that's what we we're talking about before. Um, the uh, a pot, a pots that are used uh, on fire or for hot food, uh, those absorb, and there's no way to kosher them. Uh, however, if it's uh, if it's something like a, a cup or a pitcher that's only used for cold, right, to, to, for wine, wine is generally cold, uh, then it's okay because it will not absorb uh, cold. So you can use it for cold again after you simply clean it out. Okay, good. So now we have a general rule, the name of Shemuel, any vessel that was used for chametz, for cold chametz all year round, um, uh, uh, you can use it uh, for matzah. In other words, you can use it on Pesach, except for the item that you use to hold seor, to hold that sourdough, because that is, uh, is very strong and that will, even though it's cold, it will still get absorbed. And he says uh, also, spice containers, spices that are uh, very strong, if holding a vinegar or something like that, they're very potent, and those can absorb even though they are cold. Okay, there's an important, important point here about this, the, this word. He says, anything that is used with chametz when it's cold, you can use it for masa. Here's, a, here's my question. Can you use it for hot, uh, for hot things on Pesach also? Um, right? In other words, if all year round you use some uh, bowl or something only for cold, now can you use it on, on Pesach for something hot? Um, this will depend on a, uh, a manuscript uh, variant. So here... Uh, the different man manuscripts, most of them don't say any, any extra word here. But um, um, the Munich 95 manuscript, that's the only manuscript on the entire Bavli, says, When you use it again, it has to be only for cold, right? You have to make sure not to use that thing for hot on Pesach. However, Munich, that's Ashkenazi manuscript. Munich 6, which is a Sfaradi manuscript, and also the Rif here, have a different reading. They say, So in other words, if let's say I have a, a table, a tablespoon, uh, and, uh, and all year round, the tablespoon use only for, for cold. And now comes Pesach. So you don't have, you didn't kosher. You just kosher it with, you just wash it with cold. And now comes Pesach and you want to take that tablespoon that you use to mix cold chametz all year round and you want to use it for something hot. Um, according to this reading, Afilu Bechamin, it would be prohibited, it would be permitted to do that. Um, and that's, that is the opinion of, of the Rif. You notice that it's in parentheses. What that means, here's the actual manuscript. Um, and uh, here are those words. 
um, here it says, Mishtemesh ben b'masa, afilu bechamin. Those words are there, but they have dots on top of the aleph and the lamed and the bet and the nun. Those dots on top say, erase that word. They don't want to put an erase mark or, or white out. It doesn't look nice. So um, someone came along and said, oh, no, forget the afilu bechamin. Okay, maybe this was influenced by the, the reef, um or, uh, or the, another tradition, but it's not found in any other manuscript. So it's probably not an actual manuscript, but it's a commentary uh, wondering if that's, uh, if that's needed or not. So that's a, a very interesting question and actually quite relevant um, because um, uh, we have another principle of Rov Tashmisha, right? Which actually um, was assumed before. Remember the knife? The knife is used in many different ways. Sometimes you might use it on the fire itself. And that's why Rav Asher probably was machmir to make sure to use it on the fire. Um, but generally it's not. So we would say, Rav Tashmisha, if something is, is, is used usually for cold, uh, then you can just wash it with cold and you can use it again for Sfaradim. Ashkenazim are more machmir with that. Uh, the, the, but then the question comes up, uh, fine, you usually use it for cold, and uh, so you don't have to you, you, you don't have to kosher it with Hagalah um, uh, on Pesach. But what if now on Pesach you want to use it, you know, for for hot? Would it be okay or not? That would depend on this reading here. All right. Do last point. Um, what kind of vessel you're using? Because it just says vessels. But are we saying you know any kind of vessel would absorb the sourdough, metal, uh, glass? It doesn't right. distinguish. Okay, yeah, it doesn't say what they're made out of. Um, it doesn't say what these what these vessels are made out of. So I guess it would be it would go, I guess it would be anything. These are kneading bowls that were in Mechoza. Um, so because they have this uh, the leavening in it. Um, and they use it a lot in it, and, and it's uh, very potent. So those are like the store, the ones that you store it in, and that would be prohibited. Pishita, obviously, that obvious. No, you might say, since they're big, uh, so then uh, the, there's a lot of air in them. They're open air, and so it's not going to go in and, uh, and, um, and get absorbed. No, this teaches us, therefore, that um, he teaches us that even though it's open, unlike the store, this, the storage item that's uh, that's closed, uh, still it's a problem if it's in there for a long time. And so uh, this is another important principle: it's not only heat that can make something absorb, also something that is um, uh, uh, that is very a strong flavor can also get absorbed even when it is um, when it's cold. Uh, so this is a very important source for all of the principles that we use um, um, all, all year round, and especially on Pesach, uh, come from here. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.